Hello and welcome to part seven of our Things Set Right series, where we're looking in detail at the Gospel of Mark. And today we're talking about storms. I'm so glad that you are here. And especially if this is one of your first times or maybe your first time at Cornerstone online or listening to the podcast or however you're watching or listening, we would love to be able to welcome you personally and stay in touch with you. So you can go to our website, cornerstonenh.org and click on the new here link or anywhere you are. You can text the word new to our church number 603-225-2550 and we will be able to do that. Uh, We would love to be able to inspire and equip you to follow Jesus wholeheartedly because we know that following Following Jesus makes life better and makes you better at life. Uh, through this series, this overview of the of the book of Mark, this has been kind of the big theme that Jesus is the King who secures His victory through the cross. And we've looked at this kind of outline of the book many times before, that uh, the first half of the book, which is what we're in right now, uh, is all about who Jesus is. It's presenting the case for his identity. Uh, He reveals himself uh, as the Messiah and the Christ and the Son of God. And then the second half of the book talks about how he inaugurates the kingdom of God. So, we are in this first section, and it's, again, all about his identity, who he is. Uh, And for the people who were reading this or encountering Jesus, there were several things that they would have known about God, the God of the Israelites, Yahweh, the Lord. And I recently have been studying through the Psalms, and this is a theme that you pick up on several times throughout the Psalms. I'll give you some examples, but it's actually in many places. This is from Psalm 89.9, and it talks about the Lord and how he rules over the seas. It says, you rule the surging of the sea when its waves rise you calm them. So, what's it saying about the Lord? Well, we know that he rules over the seas and he's the one that can calm the seas as well. You see this theme throughout the scriptures, beginning from the very first chapter. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was formless and void and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The picture of creation before God got involved in ordering it was just this chaos of waters, this uh, very scary, dangerous place. And that's how the people would have pictured the, the waters and the seas. We don't think like that because now we can send submarines down to the Titanic that was sunk over a hundred years ago and, and see what was going on and see the bottom of the ocean. We know how far it goes and we can take pictures down there. But that was not the case for most of human history. Think about being out on the sea and not knowing how far down it goes and knowing that if you went down, people would never see you again and never know what happened to you. There was great fear associated with the seas. And the fact that God could rule over the seas, that he would be able to calm the seas, that he's the one that stirs up the storms and calms them afterward, just was indicative of his 
power. That's what we know about God. Now, I'll give you a little bit longer example. In Psalm 107, it talks about all these different people who encounter different types of of, uh, difficulties or dangers and then how God delivers them. And I want to read one of the four scenarios to you because it is about a storm. So listen to what it says in Psalm 107, beginning at verse 23. Some went off in, off to sea in ships, plying the trade routes of the world. They too observed the Lord's power in action, his impressive works on the deepest seas. He spoke and the winds rose, stirring up the waves. Their ships were tossed to the heavens and plunged again to the depths. The sailors cringed in terror. They reeled and staggered like drunkards and were at their wits' end. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He calmed the storm to a whisper and stilled the waves. What a blessing was that stillness as he brought them safely into harbor. Let them praise the Lord for his great love and for all the wonderful things he has done for them. The theme of that whole passage, this whole psalm, is the Lord's faithful or loyal love. The Hebrew word is hesed, and it has that sense of love. There's an emotive kind aspect to it, but it's also a committed love, a love that sticks with a person over the long haul. And that's the, the kind of love that we're talking about. And so, again, picking up storms, storms are going to come. The Lord is the one who is over all the powers of creation. He's the one that can calm those storms. That's what people would have known having read their Old Testament, having grown up in that faith, they would know that it is the Lord who calms the storm. Many years ago, uh, before Sue Ellen and I were married, before we were engaged, before we were dating, before that was even on our radar screen, we were in the same church together. And I remember we were in South Florida and we were somehow, some way, I ended up getting a ride with her from church back to the college campus. And she didn't have a car either, but she had borrowed a friend's car, and it was this little old Volkswagen Bug. And again, South Florida. So we're coming home from church, and there was this tremendous summer rainstorm that had kicked up. Now, this week here in New Hampshire, we had a line of powerful thunderstorms come through. That was great. I loved that. I went and stood outside and watched the wind blow and the power and listened to the thunder and watched the rain come down. And then five minutes later, it was over. But in South Florida, that happens with pretty good regularity, about three o'clock every afternoon uh, in the summers and could last for a couple of hours easily. 
there are some powerful storms and I love to experience them. So, but this time we were in this car, this little Volkswagen bug driving on the interstate when this storm kicked up. And it was to this date, one of the most powerful storms that I have ever experienced. The rain was just coming down in buckets. The little Volkswagen bug windshield wipers, which are, I think, about six inches long, were doing their best, but they just weren't cutting it. Everybody was slowing down because you just couldn't see because the rain was coming down so hard. I had put my Bible down on the floorboard, not realizing, because this wasn't a car I was familiar with, that the car leaked. And I still have that Bible, and it still has wrinkled pages from getting soaked that day. It was pouring. It's kind of funny because, you know, we were used to storms, but we were very careful, and Sue Ellen was white-knuckling it as she was trying to drive through this storm. The water is filling up the car, and here I am with Sue Ellen, who was an acquaintance at that time, not even a close friend, and certainly had no idea that she would eventually be my wife, but there we are in the storm together. I thought of that story as I was studying this passage today, which also talks about a storm, a storm that gets calm, like in Psalm 107, verse 29, he, the Lord, calmed the storm and to a whisper and stilled the waters. So today, we are going to be talking about storms and not just the uh, weather type, but the storms that come into our lives. Because each of us, this is an old, an, an old saw of pastors, you're either in a storm, coming out of a storm, or going into a storm. It's just storms make up a part of life. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And the bottom line is that we don't give up we cry out. And that's going to be the challenge as well, that when storms come up, to use them as a prompt not to give up, but to cry out to your heavenly Father who cares for you and has the power to calm that storm. So let's look at this passage in the Gospel of Mark. We are coming into a section of three stories showing God's power displayed through Jesus. And this first one has to do with the disciples encountering a storm on the Sea of Galilee. This is Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. Remember, when you're reading through the Gospel of Mark, it might seem like a bunch of distance connected stories, but there is an order and structure to it. And one of the keys to tell you that you're coming into a new section is a change of geography, a change of location. That's what's happening. Let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, 
Don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly, the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and waves obey him. Now, notice just a couple of things before we go on. Remember, the Gospel of Mark, because Mark hung out with Peter, is probably mostly Peter's teaching, and therefore is eyewitness accounts. Peter was a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee. This was his home uh, territory, his uh, place of work. He's familiar with it. And also, there are these little details in here which aren't really critical to the story, but they're included. That suggests an eyewitness account. One, it tells us where Jesus is on the boat. It says that there were other boats that followed along. There were all of these indications, these little details along the way, not only in this passage, but throughout, that show that this is eyewitness testimony. So, before we look at the story, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. And I thank you, Lord, that we have the eyewitness testimony of uh, the chief of your apostles, Peter, who was there and experienced this and preached it and recorded it, and it's preserved for us. Lord, I pray that you would speak to every one of us, myself included, about the storms of life that we're going to encounter, about who you are and your purpose in the midst of the difficulties and dangers that we're going to encounter. And Lord, I pray as a result that our faith would be built, that our prompting, our, our natural inclination, our instinct when we encounter these storms will be to not give up, but to draw closer to you. I pray that you would gift faith to us, that you would encourage us, that you would direct us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, as I'm studying this, I notice two sets of three that I want to point out to you. There are three great things in this story and three questions that are asked. What I mean by great things? Well, there's a particular word, and it's translated in different ways in these different passages, as you will see, but it's a word, a Greek word, that you already know. It's mega. M-E-G-A is how it would be transliterated, and it means great, great or large. And so there are three great or large things that come up and then three questions. The first thing that is described as great is a great storm. A great storm arose. In the New Living Translations, it's translated like this, but soon a fierce storm came up. And as a result of this great or fierce storm arising, the disciples end up asking this first question of Jesus. In Mark 4.38, the disciples woke him up, Jesus, shouting, Teacher, Rabbi, 
Don't you care that we're going to drown? And that's the question that sometimes arises in our mind when we encounter difficulty, isn't it? God, do you, are you even, do you even care? Are you even there? And then the second thing that happens, the great thing that comes up, is there was a great calm. In Mark 4, 39, suddenly, after Jesus speaks to the wind and the waves, the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. I love this because the greatness of the storm was matched by the greatness of the calm otherwise. And as a result of this, Jesus asked this question. He asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? So that's the second question. And then the third great that shows up in this passage is kind of surprising because they were obviously afraid when the storm arose. That's why they wake up Jesus. But you would think after the great calm came, that they would also have a great calm as well. They're free from danger. They've, they've dodged the bullet. They're now safe. But at the end of the story, it says that the disciples were absolutely terrified. They thought they were scared in the middle of the storm. Now, they're absolutely terrified when they see Jesus' power over the storm. It literally says, they feared a great fear. There was a great storm followed by a great calm, and it produced in them a great fear. And they're asking themselves this third question, who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So I want to use those three greats and those three questions as the structure as we think through this. So let's look at it together. Again, the bottom line is that we don't give up. We cry out in the midst of storms. And the first thing I want you to notice, this great storm arises. It shouldn't be a surprise because we expect storms. This fierce storm arises. Now, in the natural world, these guys were fishermen. They were familiar with the weather of this area. It is not uncommon for fierce storms to suddenly arise on the Sea of Galilee. They would have been familiar with that, expecting that, and it actually speaks to the intensity of this particular storm that these hardened, weathered, experienced fishermen are terrified and think that they're going to die. Uh, that's how fierce this storm was. But I put in here that we expect storms. If you are following Jesus, it's very easy. And I can fa I've fallen into this more recently as well thinking that because we follow Jesus, that it means that we're going to escape the storms of life. I mean, we even talk about it as a church. Following Jesus makes life better, makes you better at life. That is absolutely true. It's based on Jesus' own teaching in John 10.10 10, that he said that the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they might have life and have it to the full. There is a fullness and richness to life that when you're following Jesus, that you will not experience anywhere else. But 
it doesn't mean that you're not going to have difficulty also. You may remember if you've been watching along in this series that we talked about the overlap of the ages. Jesus' whole message was summed up that the kingdom of God is near. He's going to inaugurate the kingdom of God. But the reality is that we still experience the kingdom of this world as well because these two kingdoms, these two ages are overlapping with one another. That's what's happening in the cosmos as a whole. That's also what's happening in your life as a believer. You've got the new life of Christ that is within you, an eternal life that's going to last forever, that's growing in power. But there's also that old fleshly life. It's still there. It's dying its end is is uh, is certain, but there's an overlap. So, I like to I needed to be reminded that just because I'm following Jesus doesn't mean that we're not going to experience difficulty, that we're not going to experience challenges. And the apostles, including Peter and Jesus himself, prepared us for this. In First Peter four twelve, the apostle Peter teaches uh, his congregations, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come up on you to test you. Uh, literally, beloved. Uh, I love that because the dear friends means beloved. It's a, it's a form of the word agape. It's reminding us that you are loved by God and whatever difficulties, storms, trials, dangers, difficulties that you face, you're, you shouldn't be surprised. It doesn't change the fact that you are beloved. And in fact, what this fiery ordeal is going to do, it's going to test you. Now, that word test, it doesn't mean it's trying to, it doesn't mean that God is trying to set you up for failure. What it means is that he's trying to prove the the the, the worthiness of your faith. I often think of those little uh, uh, symbols or marks that are sometimes on the bottom of a car, uh, cardboard box. It says that it was tested to a certain amount of pounds per square inch. What does that mean? It means that it's proved strong. It can hold this amount of pressure. It can stand up to the pressure. And when you go through a difficulty or a trial, one of the things that God is doing is he is proving, he's testing to prove the strength of your faith. But the Apostle Peter is saying, look, this, is, this shouldn't surprise us. It's not like something strange is happening to you. This is what Jesus experienced, and this is what you're going to experience as one of his followers. Jesus himself had made this clear long before that. In John 16, 33, it's recorded that Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. I mean, you can't get much more direct than that. In this world, you will have trouble. And then he follows it up with this encouragement. But take heart. Don't lose heart. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, the question that we encounter that, that arises in us when we encounter these difficulties is the same one that the apostles asked Jesus in the middle of that storm. Teacher, don't you care. Don't you care? Because when we, we say we're following Jesus, we're trying to do our best, we're trying to do things God's way, we've turned over, committed our life to him, and things still don't go as we expect or hope. 
And the temptation is to think that because that's the case, that Jesus is not watching over us, that he doesn't care, that he's not interested, and for whatever reason, he is not going to intervene. Don't you care? But we see in this story, we see in the testimony of the entirety of the scriptures, that just because you encounter difficulty doesn't mean that you are outside of the care of your loving Heavenly Father. He has purpose, part of it to test, to prove the strength of your faith, to give your faith a workout, to build it up. And there's more to it as well. Again, the bottom line, we, when we face trials, difficulties, storms, we don't give up. We cry out in part because that's the part of the purpose behind that. As a follower of Jesus, we use storms as a prompt to cry out, not lose hope. Remember in that psalm I read to you, Psalm 107, the transition point from danger to deliverance was this hinge in 107 verse 28. Lord, help, they cried out in their trouble. Lord, help, help. In the midst of that, In the midst of the storm, they cried out for help. And that's the hinge point. Next part of that, things start getting better. The seas calm. And that's exactly what happens in Mark chapter 4 as well. They awaken Jesus. He tells the storm, silence, be still, calm down, cut it out. And immediately, that's what happens. And it's interesting, again, key details that are coming from an eyewitness. Not only does the wind die down immediately, but the sea becomes calm immediately as well. And I'm not a, I'm not a fisherman. I'm not familiar with this. But as I was studying this, uh, it pointed out, and I was thinking, oh yeah, that makes sense. I have observed this before, that after the storm, the waves are still kind of rough for a while. It takes time for them to calm down. So this is part of the supernatural aspect of this experience. Not only does Jesus immediately calm the storm, also the waves immediately die down as well. So the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And so he asked that next question, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now, uh, this is interesting because this word afraid is not the usual word for afraid. It implies a sense of dread. They were in fear of their lives. They were anticipating death. They were in dread. Sometimes this word is is translated as fear. Sometimes it's described as cowardice, sometimes as timidity. But the whole idea behind it is that they were they were cowering in fear. And the reason why is implied by his next question, do you still have no faith? In other words, he's saying You were experiencing all of this fear. Why were you in fear? It was because you did not yet trust me. You didn't know who I am. 
because the Lord of heaven and earth is in control of the seas and I am sent by him and I am him. That's what Jesus is saying. Do you still not recognize who I I am? Do you still not acknowledge, have faith, trust who I am? And I felt like this was a good time to extend that invitation for you to know and recognize who Jesus is, to turn your life over to him, to commit your life to Jesus, because that's the whole point of the gospel of Mark. That's the whole objective of what we do as a church is to get this message out so people recognize Jesus for who he is, offer their unconditional yes to him, to follow him, and as a result, get to know him and have him leading and guiding their lives. When you say yes to Jesus, you are saying yes to his lordship. He is the Lord, but that means that he's in control, that he gets to call the shots, that you're acknowledging his lordship in your life. It also means that you are saying yes to his forgiveness, to his salvation, that he is rescuing you, not just from storms, but from the ultimate storm, the storm that is caused by our sin and rebellion, the judgment and wrath of God that rests on us because of that rebellion. You're saying to him, I want what you did on the cross to count for me so that I might be forgiven so that I might have a clean slate before God, so that I might escape the wrath of God and experience the grace and peace of God. So if you haven't done that already, let this be your day. Maybe the storms that you're going through right now are intended to bring you to this point where you recognize that you've been at the helm of your ship. You've been guiding and directing, and now you're getting ready to go down in that storm on that sea. Cry out to the Lord. Maybe that's why you are in this place, because he wants to prompt you to cry out to him and find in him the Savior the salvation, the rescue that you have been looking for. Sometimes that's the purpose in the midst of this. We don't give up. He's not trying to break you. He's trying to rescue you. Don't give up. Cry out. Because he wants you to know him. And in fact, that's what this last section is all about. We can expect to know the Lord better after the storm. Not only in this passage, but over and over again in the scriptures, you see people going through things and coming out the other end, knowing something about God that they would not have known and could not have known had they not gone through that experience. And so I believe that sometimes that's the purpose. Let me give you an example from the scriptures. Jesus healing and then or actually raising Lazarus from the dead. So Lazarus, a family friend of Jesus, is sick and dies. And Jesus, instead of going right to them to, to heal him, delays and then goes after he's dead. His sisters 
whom he cares, who Jesus cares for very much, are grieving. They had known Jesus. They knew that he healed people left and right. They knew that they that he would and could heal Lazarus if he had been there. But now Lazarus is dead and gone as far as they are concerned. But Jesus shows up after Lazarus has died and raises him from the dead. Mary and Martha knew that Jesus could heal. They did not know that he was the power of resurrection. And so if they had not gone through that, they would have not known that about Jesus. There's probably something that God wants to teach you. He wants to draw you in, to draw you closer to himself so that you'll know him better and know him in a way that you could not possibly have known him if you hadn't been going through the storm that you're experiencing right now. And so we can expect to know the Lord better after the storm. Now, this was the interesting twist in this story because their fear turns to terror when they recognize that Jesus can command the storms. They were absolutely terrified. They feared with a great fear. They ask, who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And you got to remember that the whole purpose of the Gospel of Mark is to to explain and to convince you of his identity. Mark starts out, verse 1, chapter 1, this is the gospel, the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. But that's the last time that he tells you that directly, what he thinks about Jesus. He lets the story convince you from that point on. You see, the disciples knew that he was the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. They probably didn't quite fully recognize at this point that he was God in the flesh, that he was the Lord of their scriptures, that he was the Lord who they had been worshiping in the flesh. And so going through this storm, seeing Jesus command the waves and the wind would have taught them something about Jesus that they did not know yet. And they were in awe. They were terrified to recognize that this man was the Lord incarnate because even the wind and the waves obey him. And they know that there's only one power in the universe that commands the wind and the waves, and that is the Lord God Almighty. And so, in the midst of this, they were fearing, but their fear becomes good because of the direction, the object of that fear. You see, in the midst of that, they were fearing the storm, not recognizing who was in the boat with them. Now, their attention and their respect their fear, their awe is directed towards Jesus as it should be. This is the way Jesus taught it in Matthew 10, 28. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They can't touch your soul. 
Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. In other words, if you want to live a fearless life, if you want to be courageous, then you direct your fear, your respect, your awe towards your heavenly father. And once you're right with him, everything is set with him, you know him, then you don't have to fear anything else because you're under his care. And in fact, that's the very next verse. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. Once you are in his care, in his family, a part of his kingdom, under his protection, then you, once he's in the boat, where you're in the boat, then all is well. Because no matter what happens outside of the boat, no matter what storms come into your life, if Jesus is in the boat with you, you're under the Father's care. You're going to be okay. And so we don't give up. We don't lose hope. We don't forget about our faith. We use those as prompts to cry out to the Lord. And so I'll challenge you to do exactly that. Maybe you know exactly the trial that you're in right now. You've been tempted to give up. You're asking the question, God, do you even care? How could this happen to me if I'm really a part of your family? If you are part of the beloved, if you love and care for me, how could this be happening? And it's tearing away at your faith. You're tempted to give up. That's not the purpose. The purpose is to build up your faith, to test it, to prove it. It's so that you will know something about the Lord that you don't know yet. So don't give up. Use it as a prompt to cry out, to just pour out your concerns, pour out your cares, pour out your worries and anxiety to the Lord and let him do something about it. Hand it over to him. Don't give up. Cry out. Because storms are to be expected. They're actually a prompt to cry out to him so that you will get to know him better. And in the end, that's exactly what's going to happen. You're going to know him better. You're going to love him more. You're going to have greater, stronger faith because of the storm that you're in right now. Don't give up. Cry out. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you told us to expect storms, that you use them to build our faith and to draw us closer to you. Pray for myself. Pray for my friends, my brothers and sisters who are watching and listening. Grant us faith. Give us courage. Direct our fear to you and you alone so that we can be courageous and fearless in every other aspect of life. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.